This is episode 100 with Max Temkin from Cards Against Humanity. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Guys, before I jump into the episode, I just wanted to thank you. Four years ago, I would have told you I'd never start a podcast. Two years ago, we started one version, which morphed into Crowdfunding Uncut. And now because of your continued support, your questions, and the guests that we have on the show, we're now at episode 100, going strong. And I'm super passionate about the things that we're doing and the creators that we're able to help just by having some really constructive conversations. And this episode's really special to me. I intentionally wanted to bring Max back onto the show because he was by far our most controversial guest. And our most downloaded episode. And so I'm really happy to have a continuation of that. So why don't we just jump right into the interview? I want to say thank you so much for your help. I never could have published 100 weeks worth of the content without you. All right. I think my favorite part about this interview and just bringing Max onto the show is he clearly doesn't know any of the Kickstarter tactics that a lot of the industry professionals will use. And I do agree with him on most parts. And I think that what makes me so passionate about bringing guys like him onto the show is because he completely contradicts what the standard or what the norm is in an industry and gets you to really look at what is most important, which is creating a great product and having an authentic customer experience without slimy sales tactics and stuff. And Every time I get off the call with this guy, it makes me rethink a lot of the things that I do because I am guilty of doing a lot of the things that he says. Um, just to defend myself a little bit, like we, you know, when structuring reward packages, we do the artificial scarcity and we do stagger it in a way to create an experience for like Black Friday and stuff like that. While these strategies work, 
they can possess the problem. And he did talk about it a lot in this interview where you can try all the sales tactics that you want, but if ultimately, if you don't do your homework before your product launch to make sure that you're creating a great product that people love and by going through the customer journey with them to test your product, have people give you feedback, scrap certain features. You're never going to know if you're truly creating a great product. And if you do all these marketing tactics without doing that homework and the initial validation and and testing, then you might have a good raise on Kickstarter, but then you will have no longevity in your brand. So it's important to do the work ahead of time. And I, man, I just love that guy. And I'm a huge fan of his work. So I'm just, I'm so happy he came on the show again. If you are still here, which I think you are, because this is a freaking awesome episode. Um, you should go to crowdfundinguncut.com. We are not only publishing this episode with show notes, with all the links we talked about, but there's a crowdfunding product launch checklist that you could pick up, which is a step-by-step guide for things that I've done to help prepare creators um, and you know have this results speak for themselves. We've raised over $2 million, and I just give you my outline for how we've done that. So apart from that, let this be the beginning of another 100 freaking awesome episodes. Hey, guys. Welcome to Crowdfunding Uncut. I'm so stoked. I cannot believe that we've made it to 100 episodes. And after sending an email to this guy, waiting back for a couple weeks, having a Twitter petition where I was trying to get my audience to like reach out to him to say, yeah, come back back on the show. Um, (laughs) Max, honestly, I don't know if you, you probably saw the tweets, but I was like, oh no, I hope he's not ignoring me. And he finally came back after, um, after about a week or two. And so I'm so stoked to have you back on the show, Max. Um, guys, this is like a part two from episode 37, where I had Max Temkin on the show, um, founder of Secret Hitler, Cards Against Humanity, and a few other epic games. And one thing that really stands out to me about his work is the marketing they do to be a continuously top-selling game, not just with Cards Against Humanity, but the several other um, like products that he's put out. They've done it on was such weird marketing that I think that he's one of the best marketers I've ever seen. They don't use traditional marketing strategies and they've come out to be an incredible company that is a cult, like has a cult following. So like Max, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Are you ready to- Thanks for having me. Yeah. Are you ready to dive into episode 100? Let's do it. How come it's, I have questions for you because it's the hundredth episode. How come it's crowdfunding uncut? What does that mean? Crowdfunding uncut. Oh, this is cool. I like how you're turning the tables. Crowdfunding uncut to me is I want to dive into what it takes to really develop a good product. I, I don't like going into gimmicky marketing strategies. It's like, how do we deconstruct what it takes to have a successful product launch via Kickstarter? I see. So it's not, it's like uncut, like, uh, Unedited. Yeah, hundred percent. Not like uh, uncircumcised. No. Ah, uh, you know got what? It. Yeah. When I got the domain, I was like, "Please tell me people aren't going to think uncircumcised." But I couldn't got think it. of any other. I thought like, it was crowdfunding uncut. Like there's uh, there's more sensation. You know what? That could be something too. I could put. <laughs> I could put like a big uh, uncircumcised penis on my website. Just be like, <laughs> "This is my version of crowdfunding." There you go. And that would sell. Oh, God, it would. Um, Because I like to think we're different. Like, I don't know. We get, we're a marketing agency, too, for product launches. And, like, all the other agencies are like, oh, yeah, we'll raise a million dollars for you. And I'm just like, "Uh, no, it's not going to happen. Let's show you what you can do. 
right? I just, yeah. I like to be the honesty behind the industry and really like go into what it's really going to take. And like, I don't know if you remember our episode when we did it, but I asked you one question. I was like, so Max, um, what did you do to raise 200% of your goal in the first day? Like what kind of marketing hacks or strategies? And you're like, marketing strategies? We made a damn good product is what we did. <laughs> Well, we, I think I think part of it is making a good product, and then and then you have to have a, a, a something. In, you have to understand what's interesting or surprising about your product, and find a way to tell people about it. But that being said, like I don't believe there are any um, tricks or hacks or um, or shortcuts to doing that. So I think that people always want, you know, when I do interviews or when I talk to marketing people or even you know people who are aspiring to make their own game. People are, or their own whatever. Like people are naturally like scared. They don't want to fail. They're um, anxious, they're, you know, it's a, it's a harrowing thing to like make something that you care about and put it out in front of people. And then I think, so people are sort of naturally hungry for like, well, what's the shortcut? What's the hack? What's the easy thing that I can do? And like, there's no hack. Like if it worked, everyone would, everyone would publicize their thing successfully. So there is no shortcut. There's just doing, there's just having a understanding what your story is, talking about it honestly and doing a lot of hard work. And, and I think, uh, you know, my concern is that when I hear people who have, sort of like hacks and tricks is that they're essentially lying to people and they're saying, well, we have some sort of system wherein you can like avoid all of that hard work and that sort of emotionally fraught, you know, dark night of the soul where you, you, you have to be really introspective and, and understand, you know, what's special and what, what's not special about what you're doing. There's no getting out of that. Like, like that's just taking advantage of people. If you say, well, there's some sort of like, here's the like 10 power tips to like supercharge your Kickstarter campaign or whatever. Like there's no such thing. Like there's just doing hard work and sweating it out and doing, do, you know, fretting about it like everyone else does. And then sometimes you get luck. Luck is the other part. Sometimes you get lucky. Yeah, definitely. I find that you can use these guru tricks and, you know, artificial scarcity and whatever the other marketing tactics are going to be to game the system. But Artificial, artificial what? Scarcity. So it's where, yeah. So you take your reward package and you say, oh, we're going to do 50% off only for the first hundred people. I see. But, yeah. but it's because, but there's no, that they're not actually scarce. You're just, deci- you're just doing that. Exactly. Cause you're trying to create a black Friday effect of like a hundred people get the first flat screen TVs for a ridiculous see, that's offer. Like so, right? It's so fun. It's so dishonest though, because you're, you're already approaching. There's these people who you want, you're saying I made this thing and you know, I, I'm in theory, at least the stuff that I make is important to me. I assume that's true for most people. You're saying this thing is important to me. And you're trying to go to your audience, but it's so dis- it's so sort of fundamentally like like I don't know deceitful or dishonest or 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 something to say to have these games that you play with people. It's so transactional. It's like well, like what kind of a what kind of a relationship do you want to have with with your customers? Like I don't know. You're just setting this up for failure. Yeah, and I noticed with your campaigns that you don't do any of the early bird strategy. Like your price is set at what it is. Well, I feel, I feel that that's honest. I think that I think if you decide that something you make has a value, it's that value and not another value. So Cards Against Humanity, we decided early on, Cards Against Humanity is $25. It's never another price. That's what it's worth. And the options are, well, we, we provide the whole game for free on our website, and you can like make it on your home printer. But if you buy it from us, the cost is $25. There's never any coupons. There's never any sales. That's just how it is. I don't know. I, I feel like that's, that's a way to have... In- integrity and, and be honest with people and customers, people's, their antennas are up. Like they can smell that, that, that bullshit. Like they know when they're being manipulated and it makes people feel terribly alienated and sad to be 
taken advantage of by by someone who's also trying to be authentic, right? To say, oh, well, I'm an artist and I really care about the thing that I'm doing, but here's a bunch of lies I'm going to tell you to sell it to you. Like that, that's, that's a bad look. Yeah, for sure. And this is part of the reason I think you have a cult following because you're so honest and you own integrity through everything you do, mm-hmm. which is like, it's really cool because it's so backwards to what the industry does, yet it clearly works. And like having your values emanate through your product is really how you have a successful company, <laughs> you know, or part of the reason, of course. Like It's it's more but. surprising to me. I mean, I, I don't know. When I look at the, the cards works with our, you know, the business model of cards is so simple, right? We make a product, we sell it for money, and then we spend less than we make. And that's, and then we try and, and then to market it, we like do funny things and tell people about it. There's no magic there. Like it's, it's not, there's no like, uh, I don't know. There's nothing that surprising. There's no secret to it that we just do mm-hmm. what is obvious that anyone could do. It's honestly much more amazing to me that, that, that people who have these like tricks and hacks and are, what did you, artificial scarcity, artificial yeah. scarcity. And that the, it's more surprising to me that that stuff works. Like I can't believe people don't see straight through that bullshit and that it doesn't make them feel terrible when they, when they see, you know, a Kickstarter page where there's all these like gimmicks and games and we're going to unlock these stretch goals. And like, what like, who's that for? Like just, just make an offering to people. Yeah. I feel that people do it because it's now the norm on Kickstarter strategy that they don't think twice because every other campaign is doing it. So it's okay for them to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And I have to say like, I, you know, I use these strategies too because I'm like, okay, well, if this is what works, this is what works. Um, But I do a hundred percent hear what you're saying. Um, and I use it more for like, we might pull out in a 30 day campaign, like one product feature or an accessory. We won't list until two weeks into the campaign because our sales have slowed down. So we're like, Hey, let's see what we could do to bring people back to the page. So we might do things like that. Um, ultimately depends on what you're doing. So, um, what I'm wondering is you have this amazing ability to stay top of mind with people and market your product with a very limited marketing budget. I'd love what to is, talk What about is that first, what does the first thing mean? Uh, oh crap, what did I say? Uh, stay first of mind? Oh, stay top of mind. Like just Top of mind? Yeah, just constantly just be a party favorite for years and it's not just a one trick pony, right? Like, oh, I see. Yeah, okay. so every year you do some outrageous marketing thing that allows you to stay on top of like on top of Amazon and stuff like that. Like you've done the everything costs $5 more sale. You did the holiday hole and a few other things that are um, inspired by like, do, do you guys still operate off of a limited marketing budget? Um, or, doesn't, isn't every marketing budget limited? Well, if you guys are intentionally doing it where you're not doing your typical Facebook advertising or paid ads or whatever, right? Like you're doing things a little bit differently. Oh, we don't do any paid up. We don't pay for exactly. advertising. Yeah, exactly. So, so the limit would be <laughs> the limit would be a hundred percent. We we do not right. do any advertising. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to clarify that because I know yeah. looking into some of the earlier stuff you did, you're like we needed to figure out how to get sales going and compete with other brands when we have no marketing budget. So I didn't know if that had changed. Mm. Um. Because you have no marketing budget. Can you tell well, me? Well, we spend, I mean, okay, let me, ref- maybe I, just to be specific. Do it. Like, yeah. We spend money to do things. So like, um, oh boy, let me think of a, of a, of a, I don't even know what oh, we do anymore. Spot. What was a recent <laughs> example of a thing we did? Uh, like Holiday hole. 
Sure, the holiday hole over Black Friday. So every Black Friday we do some sort of crazy stunt, and you know, we try and defray the cost by having like people pay into it to like make it happen. So with the hole, right. people could give us money, and we would start digging this hole, and we would dig the hole as long as they give us money. So some of the costs were offset by people giving money to it, but we also like put a lot of money up front into buying the land and the construction equipment. We had to buy satellite time to do our live stream from the location. Like it was a crazy project that that. Claire was like project managing that and, and the cards partners and writers. Like we worked on that for year, literally years of planning to get that one, that one or two days of, of joke to happen. And we invested people, you know, the money is in people's time, their salaries, the equipment, the expenses, like a lot of money was spent on that. We did not pay on Facebook to make people look at it. We just tried to do something funny that people would want to share. To me, it's like, if you want people to talk about you, it's on you to do something worth being talked about. And the rest will sort of solve itself. Like, there's no shortage of ways in the world now for people to give to tell each other about stuff, right? Like, if you want to tell your friends about something crazy that's happening, you have so many tools to reach out to them and be like, hey, look at this crazy thing, right? That's not actually a problem that exists in the world. So I just view our responsibility as we need to do something that's worth people talking about and the rest will take care of itself. Like there's already a mechanism of, of people to share and discuss things. We don't need to like c- compel them to like look in an ad of our for our whole by like spending like money on Facebook. Like it's just sort of a, I don't know. It's just sort of like a naturally occurring thing. If you do something, if you do something surprising and delightful, people will want to share it. Definitely. And these like I don't know if you'd call them stunts or ways to get the press and get eyes on you. Um, yeah. That's you know different. Is this a once a year thing that you guys are now doing or do you do them a bit more often? Well, we, we're trying, we're definitely experimenting more with just sort of like goofy one-off things like, Oh, a good one earlier this year was we, when, um, after, uh, uh, in the last, uh, week of the uh, Obama presidency, like right before Trump's inauguration, we took out a full page ad in, I think in like the Chicago Tribune and the Washington post. And we posted a job listing for a new CEO that was like only targeted for Barack Obama. So it was like requirements. You have to have passed like comprehensive health care reform and, you know, uh, uh, successfully gotten America out of two wars. And, you know, like we came up with all these things that like, yeah, you have to be the first black president. Like we came up with all these mm-hmm. accomplishments that Obama had done. And we were like, you know, generous like relocation package and like you can get like a company laptop. Like we put all the benefits in there. And that got like a ton of press. Like people really liked it. It was like widely shared. And that was just like a one-off like goof that we did. And, you know, unfortunately we never heard uh, back from uh, President Obama, but if he's listening, if he's a listener of crowdfunding uncut, please uh, email us at um, uh, mail at cardsagainsthumanity.com. And uh, we'd love to, uh, we'd hire you immediately and uh, transfer all financial control of our company to you. um, If you came on to be our CEO. So uh, please, uh, please let Obama know if he's a listener, but uh, yeah, so we, we do like a lot of those, like, like, one-off um, stunts. And then in terms of the Black Friday stuff, we try and do something funny every year on Black Friday and we try and do something kind of funny for the holidays. But, you know, it's um, you know it's like comedy writing. So sometimes you have a funny idea and sometimes you don't. And when we have mm-hmm. a funny idea, we, we, we try and pursue it. What does that process look like for you? Like with The Onion, for example, they have a week, like they have a regular content schedule and they have a process for writing, storyboarding and all that stuff. Like mm. what does your process look like for to come up with things that are ridiculous and will get coverage. So we, so, so me and the other cards writers, like we started working on cards when we were like home from college on winter break. So we really like working on these like sort of short bursts of intense energy where we all get together for a couple of days and just like, you know, obsess over it. 
it's just a good kind of creative energy. So we do those, we do the, now the guys all like live all over the country. So, but about four or five times a year, we all get together in the same place. Usually we'll rent like an Airbnb, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in like the woods in, in Michigan or Wisconsin. <clears throat> or like we went out to like Joshua Tree National Park um, last year. That was a really fun retreat. And we just sort of come up with ideas. So sometimes that involves just doing the writing for the game and writing cards. But a lot of times we sort of brainstorm um, promotions. And, you know, I don't know. It's like any other writer's room or creative endeavor. It's like someone throws out an idea and someone else tries to beat it with a funnier idea and a funnier idea. And you just kind of go down these weird alleys and, and you know, dark corners of your brain. And you hope that something surprising emerges. Um, so, you know, the Obama CEO thing, I mean, I can tell that's a good example. I can go down the road of how we came up with that. So like we were talking, we were trying to write a card or a joke or just goofing around. And we were like, I wonder what Obama's going to do after he becomes, you know, after he's president. Cause like he's young, he could kind of do, he's like young, he's popular, he's handsome. Like he could do whatever he wants. So we were like, it like, then we started having these fantasies of like, what would be the coolest thing Obama could do? And we were like, he should go be an action star. He should star in action movies. Like it would be so surprising. Like everyone would go see the movie. Like it would be really funny and weird to see him do that. And then we were like, we should make an action movie st and, and starring Barack Obama. We should just spend all the money of the Cards Against Humanity has ever made to hire Barack Obama and make a movie called Air Force One Two. And uh, he's the president on the plane that gets hijacked by terrorists, and he has to like dramatically throw the terrorists off the plane. Um, uh, so he'd come on, he'd be like, uh, let me just say, get off my plane. <laughs> but... Uh, and then uh, that, and then that sort of trend. Then when we went through talking about the idea of like hiring Barack Obama and like what a funny premise that was, then someone was like, "Oh, we should like hire him to be the CEO of our company. We should just hire." Uh, you know, we were, and then we, and then we immediately that was hilarious because we were like, "Oh my god!" Like the, re the the relief would just be so palpable. Like if we just had this like ultra competent guy come in and make decisions for us, and we didn't have to like be responsible <laughs> for figuring any of this stuff out, and we just had this like constant professional and he was just so calm and measured and smart and considerate and he would just come in and run our company in a responsible way like oh my god that would be such a fantasy and that was sort of how we came up with the, the right comedy tone and, and the idea of like writing that the help wanted ad would that though because you your company has such a weird flair for like this stuff you guys put out is ridiculous. And do you think that, like in a great way of course, like, do you think that having someone like Obama might dampen that? I don't know. I mean, hmm. probably, I don't think so. I think he's a really, he's an incredibly funny guy. I don't know if you ever saw like the White House press correspondence dinner yeah. that he did, but you know, I don't know. Also like, like, I don't know, like we, cause we do get that a lot of like, Oh, you guys are, are so random or so weird. And like, are, are we really like, I don't know, like, isn't every company like inherently like absurd? Like there's just this sort of thin veneer of respectability of like what any company does. Like it's all absurd. It's these absurd pursuits that people choose to throw their, their, their time away on. Like what cards is no different than, you know, I don't know than anything else. Like it's just, you know, we just make a thing that, that, that makes people feel good and they laugh at it and we put it out there. Like, I, I don't think it's like, I don't know. I, I don't think it's like that different from any, any creative company that, that, make some, you know, entertainment thing for people. But I just think we try to, we try to be honest about the crazy, the absurdity of, of what we're doing. There is a sort of, there's an absurdity in the existential sense, I think, in like all of the comedy that we're doing. And definitely people, you know, with like digging this huge hole for no purpose, like that was very, um, that was very absurd. And like, you know, in the sense of like Camus and, and that was really captured our mood after the Trump election. And, it just sort of felt like a commentary on like what was happening with society, I guess. 
Yeah. I remember when a friend passed me the holiday hole and I was like, they're doing what? And I couldn't, I thought it was like really well done. Um, but I'd love to hear it from your mouth. Like what, what made you decide to pursue the holiday hole and what does it represent to you? Um, well, I, I, I honestly, I wish I remember the, the joke. I mean, it, it was a thing we've been joking about doing literally for years. Like, I think we've been joking about this, the idea of doing the Cards Against Humanity holiday hole for like three or four years. And the joke we always did, it's such a bad idea. And the joke we always did is that we would say is like, when we're out of ideas, we'll just do the hole and that'll be the end of the company. We'll just dig a huge hole for no reason and just let everyone think about that and that, let that be our final thing. And whenever we would, some, you know, like anything else, like, you know, when we'd have a frustrating day or we couldn't come up with a funny joke or we were like, you know, hit hit a writer's block or, a, a, you know, whatever, some sort of creative block, we'd just be like, well, that's it. Let's dig the hole. And eventually it just became like, what are we going to do for Black Friday, you know, whatever, 2016? And we were like, holiday hole, it's time. Like, the, the, there was something about the whole Trump election where we were just like, we just felt so bleak and so hopeless. And the other thing is people keep saying this this dumb shit where they're like, oh, Trump, like, comedy is going to be so good. Like, Trump's going to be so great for comedy. Isn't it so great to make fun of Trump? And, like, honestly, it, it isn't. It, it's very frightening. It's a very frightening, out-of-control experience, I think, for for everybody watching the situation un- unfold right now. A lot of comedy writers and people who work in comedy, their health care is um, imperiled. So, like, you know, if if we didn't, if, if ACA, if Obamacare does wind up going away and this, this incredibly cruel and awful Senate health bill does pass, like we will lose a lot of the, the writers and the creative contributors to our company. They'll have to go get like a job, you know, I don't know, like a real job and they won't be able to pursue something they're passionate about and do a creative thing. And the other thing is we would have never been able to start cards against humanity in that environment. I was only able to work on cards against humanity. Like I needed to be able to go on my parents' healthcare plan for like, you know, I think I needed about six months to a year to like put some time in and start this thing up. And if it wasn't for the expansion of being able to stay on your, um, your parents' healthcare plan, um, I, I just, I, I don't know, this, this whole thing would not exist. So I don't know. So that was sort of, that was all sort of top of mind. And we just felt like there was something really bleak and nihilistic and maybe a commentary on, on the direction of society and capitalism and, um, and everything. The idea that, that, it was just this sort of image of this huge hole being dug in the middle of nowhere for no reason, and people would just put their money into it. I get it. It's um, I speak to probably ninety five percent of my days are spent speaking to Americans. I'm in Canada myself, and I just get the updates. I don't even follow the news because I just don't want the negativity in my life. But I just get updates from like something that like must, this. Must, you know, that must be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just don't. I think it's from Tim I mean, imagine, Paris, imagine what would happen for your audience of people who want to, you know, let's say quit their job and, and do their dream project and, and do something on Kickstarter. If you have, let's say that you're a parent and your kid is sick, could you imagine leaving your, leaving your job and not having health insurance for your family? I mean, no one would do it. It, 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 would, sing, it, yeah. it would single-handedly, no one could take that risk in their life. So it would single-handedly sort of crush the creative explosion of, of Kickstarter that's happened in the last, you know, eight years. Like people always, people do get very romantic or, or, or I don't know, or, or whatever of like, oh, it's like a new, you know, I don't know, like some sort of like new mode of, of capitalism that everyone's a creator and everything has changed. Like it's sometimes it's not that complicated. Sometimes it's just that 
people didn't have healthcare before and now they can get healthcare. So they're actually free to do something that they like with their life and not be a slave to their job. And they're able to like take a creative risk that sometimes that's all it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And it really breaks my heart that that, 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 it seems right now like that's going to go away. And all of these people, even people who have done successful Kickstarters, you know, a Kickstarter does not get you on a company health plan. It does not take care of your family. If you have a sick kid or someone with a pre-existing condition, it does not give them reliable health insurance. So, you know, absent being able to be part of these public exchanges, like people are going to be really screwed. I, I don't know what's going to happen to the sort of creative class. Yeah. I had never thought of it like that because up in Canada, I just buy my health plan and I'm covered because I pay 120 a month or whatever, and then I'm covered for basic care. Um, that's definitely something that I take for granted being north of the border. That's like you know what's funny? You know what's funny is there's this Republican line of whenever Democrats are like, oh, we should just have single-payer health care and everyone should have a right to be able to take their child to a doctor and mm -hmm. no one should die because they're poor. Republicans always go, they always have this line where they go, what do you want our hospitals to be like Canada, like the worst healthcare in the world where everybody hates it? And there's this popular notion that Canadians are sick and miserable and that they hate their health care and that they have bad doctors, even though their standard of living is higher, their child mortality rate is lower and their lifespans are longer. And I, the actual Canadians that I talk to are generally pretty happy with their availability of health care. The only thing I complain about is how long I need to wait in emergency for stuff. Like, that's, that's it. Like, I can go to the emergency room and what? not have to pay so much money to get my arm cast or, or something, right? Like, it's just... It well, I got, I got to say, like, I cut... Like the last time I went to the emergency room, I like was I was like like uh, cutting something in the kitchen on like a mandolin, and I like cut the tip of my finger, Ooh. and it was like bleeding for like an hour. So I was like, all right, I gotta go to. I asked a friend who's a nurse, and I was like, when do I do I have to do anything? And she's like, yeah, if it's been bleeding for an hour. You gotta go to the emergency room. So it was not like that bad of a wound, but I was just mm -hmm. you know I had to go and get some stitches. So I like went to the emergency, drove myself, went to the emergency room, walked in. I wound up waiting for for hours. Like it wasn't a fast. <laughs> it's like this whole fantasy that like Americans, because we, we, we get screwed and people go into medical bankruptcy. Well, at least you get fast care and you don't wait. No, you wait for hours. And also like, so what if you have to wait? Like if that's the cost of living in a society where your neighbor's kid doesn't die, who wouldn't so wait for an hour? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait. Like that's just being a human being to me. Anyway, what were we talking about? Kickstarter? God, we're talking about Kickstarter. Um, black box. I want to talk about that. So black box looks like a really cool fulfillment service. Um, do you guys stick mainly with Kickstarter campaigns or do you just, do you work with other kinds of products? Like what does that look like? Oh yeah. So uh, Blackbox is a shipping company that we started and it's basically, we made, uh, we built all this shipping infrastructure for Cards Against Humanity to ship stuff out and do our crazy promotions. And Blackbox is us sort of spinning that off as its own business and making it available to other people. Um, our, I, we can ship any kind of stuff that people need to do. Um, I wish we were recording this podcast in about three weeks cause I would have some incredibly exciting clients that I'd be able to, um, tell you about, but we're kind of closing, um, a couple of, of big, exciting, um, shipping deals with people right now. But, um, uh, most of the, the, our sort of specialty, although we can ship anything for any organization, the thing that we're really good at in our specialty is ship is helping people with their Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So one of the big problems when you do a Kickstarter is it's actually incredibly difficult and painful to answer the question, 
how much does it cost to ship my thing to the customer? And in Kickstarter, unfortunately, you have to commit before the project is launched. So before you can start the project, you have to fill these fields out that are like, charge the customer this many dollars to ship my thing. Mm -hmm. And if you're off by $1 and you have 100,000 backers, well, you're fucked because now you just lost $100,000. Like, it's very, very important that you not screw up the shipping cost. It really keeps people up at night. Um, I've personally gotten it wrong on Kickstarters that I did and wound up losing money. I've, I have personally wound up in the situation where we were doing really well and we had more and more backers joining, but every backer that joined, we were like losing money because I had miscalculated the shipping. So it's just incredibly difficult and opaque to understand the cost of shipping things. And okay. the the special, I think the special thing that Blackbox can do is we make it very easy and safe and fast to just put in the information about what you're making and we will give you a price that will guarantee of how much we can ship it for. And then after your kick, so we'll ship the Kickstarter campaign, do the customer service, work with them on all that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, if people want to continue to sell their thing, we roll, we like sort of automatically roll right into that. So we'll give you like this button and you put the button on your website. People buy the product with the button. They never leave your website. They stay on your website. You get, you own your customers. So you get their email addresses and all of that kind of stuff. We kind of get out of the way and, and um, you know, try and try and let the relationship be just between the creator and the customer. And mm -hmm. then um, we ship and then we ship it and we do the customer service. So basically the idea is um, if you people use black box, they should be able to spend almost a hundred percent of their time just worrying about making good products and marketing them and leave and leave all of the bullshit to us. So putting things into boxes, dealing with the postage, the fees, the warehouse, the customer service returns, exchanges, damage inventory, whatever um, that stuff is all just handled. That is fantastic. Um, is it a stupid question, but only in the U.S. or do you deal with global? No, we ship internationally. We have okay. warehouses on every continent except Antarctica, and we're working on that. <laughs> I just spoke to someone who did a ultramarathon in Antarctica, and there's lots of nothing there. Penguins, but... <laughs> Well, if, uh, if you're like a research scientist and uh, you live there and you ordered uh, a copy of Exploding Kittens, we will uh, do what we can to get it to you. I wonder how much that would cost. Yeah. But, um, okay, so I really, I love that. And in terms of if, uh, like, just say I'm a Kickstarter creator and I'm, my campaign shuts in, no, I'm getting ready to launch my campaign next week. Like, when is the ideal time for someone to hire you guys? Well, the only thing I'll say is, you better know before you launch a Kickstarter, you better know how much your shipping costs. And believe it or not, I'm sure you've talked to people like this too. I've talked to people who launched their Kickstarter and they actually did not know how much their shipping cost. And they got so screwed by that. It's such a bad idea. So as long, I always tell people like, as long as you have time to incorporate the cost of your shipping into your sort of business model, that's the right time to do it. Um, generally once people have launched their Kickstarter and sort of committed to a shipping price, it's very hard for us to work with them. Cause like, I can't guarantee that we'll like, let's say you promised your backers, I will ship you this priceless handmade vase for $5, you know, this the, across international lines, black box can't just because you made that promise, like black box cannot then later come in and offer you that pricing. Like the pricing is what it is. So yeah. de definitely people need to work with us at some point before they launch their Kickstarter, but there's no real timeline of of when that is. Okay. Pricing, I assume it depends on needs. Uh, it's primarily size and weight. Okay, cool. Cool. That's, cool. that's about, that's honestly about it. And then depending on, you know, if you're shipping a hundred of something, we probably would just ship everything from the U S and international backers would pay a little bit more. But if you're shipping, you know, exploding kittens had 
hundreds of thousands of backers. Uh, it's the largest Kickstarter project of all time, and and we ship that, and that shipped originating from um, you know every continent. So we were shipping two people in Europe from Europe, two people in Asia from Asia, you know, so on and so forth. Now, I'm going to pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and um, sorting customer data. Not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually um, created a discount code for the uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to to uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, So if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. One of my students is a game developer as well, and he asked this, so Brent asked, the production of Secret Hitler is amazing. Not only is the game fun, but the graphic design is beautiful. The font has a perfect theme. The video is outstanding. Where did you find the talent to pull all of that together in a cohesive presentation? And how many thousands of dollars did they invest before it was ready to launch on Kickstarter? Sure. Uh, happy to, to go into that a little bit. So Secret Hitler is... This like hidden identities board game that um, I put on Kickstarter with some friends, I believe, uh, uh, like last year, two years ago, and uh, did quite well. And um, we really, because we were funded really highly, we you could see if you go back and look at the project updates, you can see we were sort of frequently updating people, and we because we had money all of a sudden, we were like, oh my god, like let's really go all out. So we added foil inlays to the board, and we added wooden components and things that were not originally part of the production budget. But having money, you know, it it Changes. frees you up. It's like, yeah, you can, you can breathe. Right. So for me, I was like, this is the dream design project I've always wanted to do. Um, in terms of the talent, the design, the typography, all of that. So I'm a designer by trade. That's like what I did before, uh, cards against humanity and before making games. So uh, that's just my background. I do, um, design and branding for, for political campaigns. So like, that's my, that's the thing I'm good at. So I, I put a lot of the design work and consideration into into everything I work on and I usually like to do it very upfront alongside the development of the game because to me I very much buy into this idea that the how how what it is and how it's presented are not two different things they're really the same thing because people's experience of what it is is defined by how it's presented what would it mean to experience what a game is without also experiencing what it looks like you can't do it right it's like it's like what from what perspective would you learn the game without looking at it and reading the rules? Like it is what it is, and the design is part of it. So to me, the get part of the fundamentally, and I, I, I I've written a little bit about this, and you know, as we were doing the development of Secret Hitler, I, I wrote some sort of design articles of specifically what the testing and prototyping process was like, and you know, we had all these assumptions, and they turned out to be wrong, and we try and listen to people and change and. But it, it's sort of this combination of like art and science. Like you want to take the data and the playtesting and the hard information you can gather and pair that with the art, which is just sort of taste and timeless rules of how to make type readable and look good. And um, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it's also like I, 
I, you know, also like, I don't know, not to be, not to be shitty about it, but like I've been doing, I've been doing design for, I don't know, 15 years professionally. So like at a certain point you also just like, you know, for me, it's like, I have all, I have this like little library in my head of like all the design I love, the artists I love, the designers I love. When I think about a project, I'm like, Ooh, here's like the good stuff I can, I can do here. Another way to say it is like, here's, here's the the stuff that I can copy. I can like <laughs> shamelessly steal and put into this game. Right. That's sort of how, how I think how that's, that's sort of what experience, um, uh, gives you. Um, but, uh, and then in terms of how many thousands of dollars we, I invested a couple grand into the game. So I worked really closely with our illustrator, Max Schubert. Um, I did a lot of the art direction for the game and Mac really pushed me on the graphic design. So it was a very collaborative, like give and take. Um, and you know, we did, we put money into doing prototyping and play testing and that, that did take money. I think I had the luxury of having money to invest in the game, but if I didn't, if I was really broke, I still could have arrived at that design. Like having money just makes things easier. You know, it's like, it's like having a gas engine versus like pushing the wheelbarrow up the hill. Like you can still get there. It's just a lot more work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, but it's, it's never, just to be clear, people are, you know, if you have a student who's listening to this, who's like, oh, I, I can't make my game because I don't have thousands of dollars to pay an artist. Uh, bullshit. That is, n- that is never an excuse. Like find an art, you know, find an artist who's also a student who's willing to do work on it for free. Do the art yourself, come up with a design that doesn't need expensive illustration. There's a thousand ways out of that problem. And it's never an excuse to not do it because you can't pay for something. In fact, not being able to pay for something is often a constraint that makes it great. If, if, if anyone's listening to this, who doesn't know the story of the original creation of the original Star Wars movie, like that movie was uh, objectively a bad script and a bad visual design and a bad plan for a movie. And it was only good because everything broke and George Lucas couldn't afford to do anything he wanted. And out of the constraint of not being able to afford to do anything and out of the constraint of like in when they were filming the Tatooine stuff in Tunisia, like all their sets broke and blew down and out of those constraints, that's where the texture and the coolness and the beauty and the originality of star Wars was born. So it's not as though, not having the money to do what you want is harmful. It's actually healthy and productive and makes a better product in the end. Yeah. Always look for the the good in what you can do with that. I totally hear you. Um, you mentioned a couple of articles you wrote on the play experience and really understanding what your customers wanted. Where can I find those articles? I don't know. Uh, I'll, uh, Are they on your... Let me see here. Medium... Uh, Secret Hitler design. Let's see. Uh, I believe it's called. They're on your Medium account, Max. Oh, thanks, Alex. Uh, if you go, if you Google prototyping Secret Hitler. Okay, great. Um, I'll find those and link them in the show notes. Just because cool. I'm like, ooh, I want to read those so I know the. Readers. And then t- yeah, so Tommy Tommy wrote some articles about the game design, and then I wrote this article about the prototyping process. It's somewhat proprietary. It's somewhat specific to game design, but I do, there's probably you could get a lot out of it for any kind of product design. Yeah, definitely. Um, it just it piqued my interest because I'm all about um, user testing and stuff like that. So I have two last questions. One is from the founder of Funded Today, Zach Smith. What's, he wants what's that? Funded Today is like the largest Kickstarter marketing agency. Remarket backers. What are they? What? Uh, funded dot today. Like what is that? What is a kick? What do they do? So you launch a project. After a week, your sales start to slow down, so you hire this marketing firm to remarket your Kickstarter to their database of hundreds of backers. 
So they're like a mailing. They're like a mailing list, and they charge you to send an email all about your project. Yeah, and they fund your Facebook ad spend. So they'll do. They're behind a lot of the remarketing campaigns where you'll see on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. What's a a remarketing campaign? So I go to your Cards Against Humanity. No, let's. You don't use this. So we go to the Pavlov campaign, and on Indiegogo, um, it will pixel me. So then, if I don't buy, Pavlov is the Pavlov is the bracelet that shocks you. Yes, it is. (laughs) Manish wants an email back. By the way, I'm like, dude, just. I'm staying out of your business, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, uh, Pavlok. And so there's a pixel that if I don't buy the Pavlok on that page, it's going to follow me around on Google, Facebook to remind me to buy the thing. Oh, you know, what's hilarious about this. Okay. So whenever, so sometimes I go on Amazon, like I, so I, my girlfriend and I just like, like got a house in Chicago. So I had to make all these like house purchases. Wow. So I bought like, I bought like a, um, a, uh, dishwasher. And I, I just bought it on Amazon and I like went on the sweet home and they were like, buy this, this is the review of the best dishwasher. I was like, okay. And I bought that and I had it delivered to the house. And what's hilarious to me is like, because I was searching for dishwashers on Amazon, I still see ads for dishwashers. And the logic of these ads is like, Hey, this guy, look at this guy over here. He loves dishwashers. We got to show him a bunch of ads for dishwashers. It's like, I bought the dishwasher. I'm not buying another dishwasher. Like how many dishwashers do people need? But you know what's hilarious to me is whenever I hear, um, oh, like uh, uh, Trump's going to like um, crack down on uh, on uh, immigration and we're going to have this like really good database to keep the bad people out. We're going to keep the terrorists out. It's the same technology. It's the same people who think, hey, this guy loves dishwashers. We got to show him more dishwashers. That's that's who's figuring out who's a, a threat and who's a refugee, right? It's the <laughs> same. It's the same bad algorithm, fundamentally flawed algorithm. I agree. You've already bought the thing, yet they're like, "Hey, keep buying." It's like that, so that's re, that's re that's advertising. Yeah, that's remarketing. Remarketing. Yeah, oh. it's just, oh uh, yeah, it's. I'm like, I already bought the thing. I because yeah, that's happened to me so many times. I'm like, you think if you're spending the money on retargeting me, that you'll know when I've already purchased it and like exclude me or something? But ah. So, but they have a massive business. I, you'll get a kick out of it if you um, you can look at funded dot today like later. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But if you he asked if you had to start with nothing and do it all over again, what would be the one thing you do differently? Um, that's a good question. What would I do differently? I think um, hmm, that's a great question. Dude, I, I guess I have to just put myself back in the and think about like the first like Kickstarter campaigns. Well, okay, so an ob- so I mean this is maybe hopefully this isn't like a cheat answer, but um, one thing we we did Cards Against Humanity way back in the day, we just charged for the game, and then afterwards we like sent a message out to our backers, and we were like, you have to PayPal us five dollars for shipping, and obviously that I mean that was how people used to do it on Kickstarter, so we weren't like um, an aberration, mm-hmm. but it it was. It was a horrible experience that we gave to people. Um, the other thing is, when we originally went went to make cards, I had uh, I was doing making them on business cards, and they were going to come in this sort of white box with like a sticker on it, because that was all the stuff I could buy at Home Depot. And we were very much in a, in a thinking about how do we make this like in our house, right? Like, like we were like, what can we do with our own hands? And we weren't really thinking about manufacturing. And Ben, one of the other cards partners, ultimately sort of persuaded me and everyone else to like 
look up like we literally had to Google like how do you print playing cards, and we sort of upgraded the game to a playing card quality product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was against it because I was like, I don't know, like the I like kind of like the homemade aesthetic, and I like that it's like lo-fi, like I don't know, but. Um, I do think, like, I wish we had the confidence, like, right off the bat to, like, make this uh, uh, a playing card, you know, a, a more premium, like, high-end design product. And that's, like, something I've definitely incorporated into, into all the work I do now. Like, Secret Hitler is, like, a pretty high-end presentation, and, and we charge for it. Like, it's, like, reflected in the price of the game. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great advice. Um, I was out for... I guess, I, let me, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just say, like, if, if people should have the confidence to do the best version of the thing they can do. And it's possible that because you do something that's the best execution you can do, that you'll fail. Like that is a possibility, right? That you make it, you don't, you make it too nice and it's like not accessible enough and it fails. But I would say it's, if you have, but it's also possible that you make it so shitty and you don't think about how to make it a great experience for people and it fails for that reason. Mm-hmm. And I would say if you have to pick between erring on the side of one of the two, fail because you made it too good and not because you made it too bad. I'm going to quote you. <laughs> that You're like, thank you. That's the kind of, today. that's like the kind of pithy uh, Malcolm Gladwell-esque uh, quote that, that uh, people pay me for. I love that. Always uh, <laughs> uh, believe in yourself. Oh, another great quote. I've never heard that yeah. one before. Yeah. Um, so I was up for drinks last night with a couple friends, and uh, they're the group I always do games night with, and Curds is always part of that game, of that whatever. And I was like, hey, guys, I'm interviewing Max Temkin tomorrow. Do you have a question for him? And uh, my friend Marcus asks a good one. He's like, uh, so this is a two-pronged question. What mm. was your most unpopular card or the mm. card that was too offensive that couldn't be included in the deck? Well, the, the first thing is we get asked this a lot of like um, – uh, oh, like, what? where's the line? Like, where do you, uh, what's too offensive to go in the game or whatever? And we don't have a line when we're writing. I mean, the line is, the goal of the game is to make people laugh and to feel good when they play and not to make them uncomfortable and feel bad. And if, if, if we know when a card crosses the line or isn't appropriate, if we play test it and people feel bad when they play it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, as a, I'm, it embarrasses me some of the cards that we've written um, over the years that, you know, you know, the, in the early first printing of cards, like, you know, we were all like college students, right? And we, there was like a really cheap, like trans joke in the game that I really regret. And I don't know, like, you know, you're, you were, you what excuse can I make? Like we were young, like I didn't have any trans friends. Like I didn't understand the experience that, that of bullying that people go through. I had no idea how that card would be received for people. It was just a joke like you'd hear on TV and we were just sort of repeating it. And, uh, you know, I saw like what ultimately kind of, made me aware of how that was affecting people was like, I saw someone's post on Tumblr and they, they, you know, they talked about how their experience of playing cards and this card came up and how bad it felt and that they felt sort of specifically bullied and that it really ruined their game. And that was a moment for me where I was like, you know, we, we actually kind of, you know, it is all fun and games, but we, until it's becomes personal for someone and we become like a bully. And I do think because of the sort of mass, what cards has become the sort of mass market product, I do think we have a, a social responsibility to to make provocative jokes and make people laugh, but not. To, but it, it's like morally wrong if anyone plays cards and they specifically feel bullied by a card. So you know what can what can you do? We pulled that. We you know whenever those cards come up, we we when we learn better, we we pull them out and we apologize and we try and move on and grow as people. Like that's that's just being a, a human being. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And this only comes with development of the game too. So. Um, 
I don't know if you could tell me this, but what's your plan for Black Friday 2017? Uh, what is the plan for black? Oh, uh, we're it's a it's a weird one. I say, you know, it's interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I I, I can tell you like every yeah. year, every year we come up with one of these things, and every year we say to ourselves, this is a truly a terrible idea. And this year, I really, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not mean this in a coy way. Like it, it, I'm like I actually right now I can feel I'm ten, I can feel my stomach. Uh, uh, nodding up because uh, I'm thinking about it and how it's it's like it's not figured out yet and it's not done and people aren't going to get the joke and it's like too fucking weird and this is finally going to be the thing we do where we lose the audience where they're just like this is so fucking weird we're not on board with it and we say this every year and sometimes we get lucky and it works and sometimes it doesn't and uh, honestly like who the fuck like the, the thing we're going to do this year it's so weird and it's so out of left field I I'm just, I'm going to be, I'm going to be feeling, I'm going to be this anxious about it until the day it happens. And then I guess we'll find out if if people think it's funny or not, or if people are just like, I don't know, they're trying too hard. It's embarrassing. Like who knows? Wait, so I'm on this, like, I'm on this, like, I went on this, like funded today website. Like what is all this bullshit on this website? Like who's buying all this? Uh, A lot of creators and they're paying up to 35% of their sales to use the service. Ugh. I, I don't want any of this stuff. Ugh. Yeah. It's, I think their premise is to get your campaign into thousands of other backers where you may have come short, but, right? But what makes, but what makes, but let's say you do a campaign. Let's say I'm making my um, a wooden, a, a Wi-Fi enabled sphere that I'm selling for uh, $79.99. And people, it's not connecting to an audience. People don't want to buy my wooden sphere that's Wi-Fi connected. And uh, they, uh, uh, don't get what I'm doing. Why? Why would I say like, oh, I should pay some uh, marketing company like uh, thousands of dollars to like artificially like pump this thing up? Because now, now I'm making them. Now I'm spending my life making these Wi-Fi spheres that nobody wants, and I constantly have to like trick people to into buying them. Yeah. Like why? I just don't understand. Like what? What's the? So I'm not. Aren't people thinking? Aren't people thinking like two steps ahead about this stuff? No, and. While I'm not standing up or endorsing the company, what is going through a creator's mind is their last hope. And so you'll go to Funded Today, and if they're not sure about your project, they put you through this one week of due diligence where they will test your campaign and drive ads to it and see if anything happens. Clearly, if it's a shitty product, their ads won't convert, and then they drop you after a week. But if their ads do convert, then that's where they start pumping you into the network to help get you more sales, right? Mm. So. That's where backers come into it. They're like, or not backers. Um, I feel sorry. I feel, I feel sorry for the poor saps who like wind up on this mailing list, and it's like, yo, here's a Bluetooth uh, belt buckle. Dad will love it. Yeah. So uh, it's not necessarily. I mean, okay, they do have a mailing list, but it's more. If only someone, if only ads. someone would make a a a a, a roll away luggage with the USB power ports in it. <gasps> right. Or a, a, a RFID blocking wallet. Yeah. It's, Who's um, buying this stuff? A Ugh. lot of people. They're Indiegogo's number one marketing partner. Ugh. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I get it. As a lot of creators will come in after not doing the work properly, and they'll rock up with either no audience or no testing or no proof that their product is going to be successful, and they just launch and then freak out when they realize their dream isn't happening. So they go to these marketing agencies to hope that 
they'll make something of it, right? Without, like, by ignoring the very first step, which is how do I know this is even something people want and do we have the offer right? Right. So. All right, here's one I would buy. This looks pretty cool. This one is called Shotbox, the pop-up photo light studio. So it's like a little, it's like a little light, basically like, like, like light box with light built in so you can do product photos. I would, I would buy that. And it folds, it packs down flat. That's cool. That's a good product. I like that. What is the one thing that stands out about that product and why you think it's a good one? Well, so it, it just addresses an actual need that I have. Like I've never been like, um, my, uh, oh, I, uh, uh, I've, I love my, um, uh, a belt buckle with a, a bottle opener in it, but I wish it had a Bluetooth in it or, you know, I, like, I, I don't know, like, I just don't know who needs all this shit. It's like how many, like, you know, fucking minimalist wallets can the world support? But like, I, so I just, it's like, it's just people copy each other and I don't know. It's just, it's just a bunch of the, you know, did you ever go, did, did you guys have this store in Canada, the sharper image? No, we don't. So we, so we have a store. I don't know if they already went out of business, but when I was a kid, it was a big deal. It was in every mall in America. And you go to the store called the Sharper Image, and they were like a catalog, and they had these stores and malls. And they had like they had like gadgets. The premise of the store was expensive gadgets that you could buy for your dad for Father's Day. So they had like motorized tie racks and like leather, like like a lot of like massage chairs and like like fancy, oh, like, like, like leather desk tie clip organizer, paperweight things. Like it was, it was just a, it was an insane, pre- like now they'd sell, like, I'm sure they'd sell like a lot of like drone kind of type shit, mm-hmm. like goofy, oh, grill, grill shit, like any sort of bullshit that's like, oh, like, oh, uh, I gotta get my dad some sort of, um, um, uh, dumb gift. And that's like how I feel about, about a lot of this. Uh, all, all this stuff of like, who is this for? Like, who would like earnestly incorporate these products into their life? But this thing is cool because like, I actually have a like we do shoot in a lot. We we have a photo studio and we like shoot do product shots and stuff. So like, the idea of a portable photo studio like Lightbox that I could take you know throw in my car that's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks so like I, a pretty I just, sweet campaign too. Like, yeah, I would not back it because it's on Indiegogo and I I won't make an Indiegogo account. I don't trust it. But if it was on Kickstarter, I back it. Oh. Tell me about Indiegogo. I don't know. Isn't it like a second-rate like garbage marketplace for things that get rejected from Kickstarter? Mm, not necessarily, but yes. Don't they? Don't they have like th- like medical devices and free energy machines and like I go, I, go, I went on there and there was like a some sort of like blowjob robot on the front page that was like this animated thing that was like filleting. It was obscene. It was just like. <laughs> moving back and forth. I was like, I, why would anyone put their product on this marketplace? Like, it's like, awful. It's like an, it's like, it's like, some, I don't know. It's like, it's like awful. It's like some sort of like as seen on TV b- bullshit. I hate it. Ooh. I There's lots of that, like supplements and I don't know. Yeah. I find that Indiegogo is just a free for all. Like you don't need to apply to have your projects on Kickstarter. Um, yes. They, right. Right. They have no standards. They yeah. literally have no standards. There are some really good campaigns that go on Indiegogo, um, but there's a lot. Why? Of what are they? What are, like? What are they thinking though? Like, if you have something good, if you have like integrity and like you care about what you're making, like, why would you put it in on Indiegogo? It's insane to me. Like, why would you be in this market in this marketplace of like, you know, uh, uh, of like like just like a bunch of like tech bullshit that doesn't work and weapons and medical devices and powders that claim to treat medical ailments. Like it's a crazy scam filled marketplace. Like the worst customers, like the people who shot, who go on Indiegogo and buy things must be idiots. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's campaign specific, but 
if you are looking, like, if I just go to Indiegogo now as a random backer, um, I'm sifting through a lot of bullshit for sure. Yeah. You know, should I hear you? Um, I find though, what I like that they're doing is they're, they're, um, ranking your, where you are in product development. So Kickstarter, you can't put anything on that's conceptual. Uh, you need to have an actual thing, right? So Indiegogo is now. Kickstarter, Kickstarter, exactly. Kickstarter has standards and you can't put spurious bullshit that doesn't work on there. Let's look, let's make a stick figure drawing. A wearable, a wearable neurostimulator for intense aerobic workouts. This is like that thing that shocks your abs. It's back. It's back from the dead. A what? A, a Bluetooth cup, a fruit or a fruit flavored cup that tricks the brain into thinking your plain flavor is your plain water is flavored. Uh, a, 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 someone claims to have made a, a micro CPAP machine, which is like a a complicated life saving medical device. Like, what kind of idiot would, if they have a, a life saving device that allows them to sleep through the night without asphyxiating, would buy some sort of prototype minimalist CPAP thing on fucking Indiegogo from a bunch of yokels and yet they have 1.8 million dollars i hope none of those people die yeah i don't the know the body boss 2.0 the first home gym you can take anywhere like who is i i just skincare stuff and an air purifier without filters like how what is the mechanism how does that work the air dog crazy total total madness i i i can't imagine what a, a cryotherapy space? This one is going to be good. Let's look at this. Whole body cryotherapy. Oh my God. What does it do? Why would you do this? Cryotherapy is a quickly growing practice that is being used for a variety of benefits, including better recovery from exercise and injuries, improved sleep, increased energy, and improved athletic performance, reduced inflammation and pain. And help with weight management. Boy, those sound like medical claims that would have to be evaluated by the FDA, don't they? Yeah, they really do. Yeah. For those who have not yet experienced it, a cryosauna is a chamber that the client enters with wearing minimal clothing. So you get into a refrigerator in your boxers per the client's comfort level in addition to gloves, socks, slippers, and underwear to protect extremities. You, oh, my yeah. God. The head rem- This is some fucking Star Wars shit. The head remains above the sauna while the chamber fills with nitrogen gas. The session takes only 90 seconds to three minutes, so it is very efficient with those with a busy schedule. Oh, you don't say it's a, a fast miracle cure for all uh, pains and medical problems? That's uh, incredible. Well, I, I just, it's, cra- get- it's just nuts. It's like, who could shop on this marketplace and see this product on there and be like, ah, this is the right place for me to put my thing that my name and credibility are behind? Yeah. For one, I would never buy any cryotherapy thing online. I would rather go to a cryogenic chamber at a local licensed place here. <laughs> the honest. local artisanal. Like, yeah, well, you got to yeah. cry. Keep it local. Yeah. Keep it local. Absolutely. Like, yeah. they know what they're doing. It's already set up. And um, I haven't tried it yet, but I it's great for athletic recovery. So it's on my list to try. Um, I, I, is it real? Are you, would you really do this? Yeah, I would. Oh, my God. It sounds insane. It sounds insane to me. But I want to, I want to try it. Um, I'm training for an Ironman, and a lot of my friends who've done Ironmans, they've used this as part of their regular recovery routine. Um, I won't try it once, but I see the benefits of cold showers in terms of like helping your muscles recharge, type thing. So I'm hoping it's like the same kind of experience. Oh my god, Just this sounds totally. Crazy. I, you couldn't pay me. You could not pay me to go. Well, you couldn't pay me to run an iron to train for an Ironman either. So I guess to each his own. But I don't know. I, this just sound, it's like this stuff sounds totally 
this stuff sounds totally bonkers to me on, on its face. Man, I love how I got to experience your first take of what cryotherapy is. This is awesome. It's, a ga- it's like a cold nitrogen gas chamber that you yeah. sit in. Oh, my God. Yeah, you stand in there, and you just, like, <laughs> if you watch videos of people doing it on YouTube, you just have this, like, steam. I mean, it's not steam, but it's, like, you know, nitrous, uh, nitrogen gas or whatever, um, whatever you said, is just, like, emanating outside of this thing. It's really futuristic. It looks freaky, but then you, you look as the temperature gauge is like 197 Fahrenheit or Celsius. I'm like, how are you not dead? But it just, it's fun to watch. A natural tonic that prevents redness and hangovers. A special <laughs> helmet for kayaking. I guess that one's actually probably useful. Yeah, some of them are. They do have some gems. But, yeah. man... This one's pretty funny. Look up the, uh, this one just has a good picture. Oh, oh, hang on. What's this called? It's called, uh, no, wait, where'd it go? I just clicked on it. Come back. This is Indiegogo, right? Yeah, yeah. Wait, hang on. Go to, look up the cool fat burner, burn 500 calories with no diet. The world's first and only proven brown fat calorie burning cooling vest the only one proven by independent third-party university testing mm-hmm. to triple metabolism, activate brown fat, and burn hundreds of calories an hour. Why? Well, I can't afford not to have this. Yeah, it's a vest that you put there, well, freeze the ice packs, and you just wear it, and it helps you passively burn fat. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that, you know, Eric G. from McConnellsburg should be, like, running crowd-funded medical trials with no oversight or regulation on Indiegogo and, like, making all these spurious medical claims. Like, there's how many, like, this thing has, like, this thing's made, like, $700,000. And, like, who knows? Like, what if someone, like, hurts themselves with it? Like, I don't know. Like, it's the whole thing makes me, like, I would never want to put, and like, I, I, I like that you don't see this kind of stuff on Kickstarter because I, I just feel like they're, like, whatever my game or product is displayed next to, it's not some sort of one of these, like, crazy you know, experimental, like, medical devices. Also, like, just look at the picture of that guy. Like, it's so, it's ridiculous. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Yep, I hear you. Because they're, yeah. No, this is cool. This is 60-day 60, cool. 60 battery pet calorie and activity tracker. A pet calorie activity tracker, is that what you said? Yep. Like, it tracks the calories of my pets? Tracks the calories of your pets. Oh, God. Monitor in real time the impact of your diet and lifestyle on your body with the in the palm of your hand with the 1X sensor. Yet yeah, not something I'd be buying. Brainio, smart wearable for brain training. The only brainwave and heat rate monitoring for stress management. Like, how can they sell this? I raised thirty grand so far. Right, but that's yeah. I don't doesn't seem. I don't know. It seems most advanced brain to me. health and fitness solution. I don't three know. Three wa- three brainwave sensors, style and comfort, proprietary algorithm, brain training games. This is all their all their sales. Got it. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> I don't know. Very best cool. of, best of, best of luck to them. I hope that the. Uh, class action suit against them uh, doesn't uh, wipe out the company. Yeah. 
I'm also glad that you didn't pull up any of my campaigns. I'd be like, oh. Well, I'm specifically but. in the uh, medical device cat. That's the funniest category. Oh, yeah. Because some of the claims these, think, these guys are making is just like, um, yeah, can you back that up? Or, <laughs> And so many of them can't. Yeah. I would, <laughs> I would venture to say most of these can't, which is why, it, listen, if you come up with some sort of breakthrough medical device, you're not going to be asking, holding the hat on Indiegogo. You're going to be getting like hundreds of millions of dollars from pharmaceutical companies who make their living doing this. Yeah, good point. Like this is sort of a solved problem in... Yeah. Man, I've never looked at Indiegogo this way. This has been fun. Yeah. It's <laughs> like a like... Tr- it's like a garbage it's like a garbage tier platform for stuff that gets rejected from Kickstarter. Like anytime I ask I, I, I see some weird thing on Indiegogo, it's always part of their story that like, oh, we applied for Kickstarter but they didn't let us in. Yeah, because you're selling some bullshit. Mm-hmm. For sure. So Max, this has been fantastic like i knew it would be um wish i can keep you on forever but you got a business to run <laughs> so yeah. yeah do you have any well, like for, yeah go ahead thanks for thanks for having me and congrats on uh, 100 episodes thanks you've uh, what's what's the, the what's the number one thing surprising or interesting thing you've learned from doing this this podcast because i feel like you've now talked about crowdfunding and met all these experts more than almost anyone i know so what 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 are like the key things that you've learned the key things I've learned is what's well, been in part with my experience with campaigns and not are um, I got started with Kickstarter because of the marketing tricks, but then they fall short when you have a crappy product. So what I've learned by speaking to people is that you shouldn't wait until you launch to validate your product. You need to do this months, if not years in advance of your launch to make sure that what you're launching is legitimately what people want. Um, and how much money can be lost if you screw this up. So I think that's been the biggest thing is the the whole pre-launch. It's not about, yeah, marketing and building up an audience is important, but it's about the product experience that I think um, is highly undervalued. Mm. So that's been my thing for sure. I, I definitely, that that um, fits with my experience. Yeah. So when you, when you told me about these articles about prototyping of Secret Hitler, I was like, that really resonates with me because that's something that a lot of creators don't do until they realize that they launched something and the price was too high or there's some cool feature they spent 50 grand developing and no one cares about it, um, right? Like, just things you need to do ahead of time. So... Cool. Well, thanks yeah. again for having me on. This was, this was, uh, this was great. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'm going to drop all links to your blog and any references we made to in this podcast in the show notes. Um, but here's to a hundred episodes and, uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to find out about you, where's a good center online that we should send? Oh, I don't, 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 don't bother. I go to a five. If you uh, live in, uh, in the U S please go to fivecalls.org. And, uh, if you care about crowdfunding and you care about the ability of people in this country to, be an entrepreneur and an innovator and take a creative risk and do something meaningful with their life and make something, go to fivecalls.org, call your congressman, call your senator, whether they're a Republican or a Democrat, and tell them how important it is th- for people to have health care, that, that no one will be able to start a business, start a project, start a Kickstarter project, 
take this kind of a risk if they don't have their health care. It's so if people, I mean, it's it, uh, people always hear this, like they think someone else on um, listening to the podcast will call. If you, there is no one who's going to call, it's you're going to call or nobody. So you can go on five calls. They have this great tool. It takes probably like one to two minutes. You call, you leave a message for your senator and just say, hey, it's really important to me to live in a country where people have access to health care so that they can start a business. That's literally the difference between life or death for millions of people. So if you Got consider it. yourself a good or empathetic person, please take a few minutes to do that. It's a it's a very scary time for those of us who um, value our independence right now. Yeah, good point. We'll send people there. <laughs> they can find you at the other things. But yeah, this is really freaking important. So awesome. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know our listeners appreciate it as much as I do. Thanks again. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.